Our very own limitations. How are they formed and how do we smash through them to discover our own limitless potential? This is the Limitless Man Podcast. Hey guys, so part of, I guess, taking ownership of your life and going to the next level is doing things you don't want to do. And accounting is probably a thing that I find boring. I find doing my accounting boring. But the guy I got on today is actually my accountant. And we met quite a few years ago, again, at an event. And the reason he became my accountant is because he makes difficult things simple. So he just dumbs everything down because I don't really understand the basics of accounting. I don't know anything about companies or franking credits or anything like this. But when I met this guy, he just radiated so much energy and, you know, to the point where, I wanted him to be my accountant because, you know, I was at a point in my life where I knew I wanted to do a little bit more, maybe start a side business or something. And he was the guy, like he just had so much energy. He he just vibrated uh, with excitement and enthusiasm. And he actually loves his profession, which really got me um, intrigued as to, you know, find out why he loved it so much. And yeah, it just so happens that he loves accounting. And so if someone loves accounting and they can help me, obviously that's a good thing. So Andy Wang, welcome, man. Thank you for having me on, brother. No what worries, an intro. Man. I, I have to come with 10 out of 10 energy now. Could you imagine if I were just like, was having my cheeky, lazy Sunday and just came in and just like, hey, how are you going? <laughs> yeah, well, what's funny, though, is that I had an accountant before you for at least 20 years and I had to break up with him. That so, would be hard. It's like breaking up with your hairdresser. It's yeah. very hard. Yeah. Right. And I love the guy. He's a great guy, but I got to a point in my life where I knew he couldn't help me get to that next level that I wanted to go to. Um, I was quite interested in learning and growing and developing. And I had a lot of questions about how I would do that because oh, I didn't really understand the basics or the fundamentals, how to start a side business, how to actually, you know, implement things at minimal cost as well. And that's another thing that you're great at too, mate, is actually, you know, giving good advice, good information, and then outsourcing things and setting things up that makes sense and, and they work, you know? So, and I know one of your strengths is, strengths is making difficult things simple. Just explain that, man. Like what came about that and how did you find out that was your niche? Yeah. So our tagline for for the business, uh, so Clarico is the accounting business. Uh, our tagline is making the complex simple. Yep. And it's one of those things where I think it was completely by accident, to be honest. Like most things, I feel like happened completely by accident. But when we started the accounting business, I remember one of, one of the things which really jumped out at us, we looked at, okay, what is it that we actually sell people, right? Yes, we sell a service where you get your tax return done and you get a bit of advice and all that sort of stuff. But if you really peel back the layers, we're setting, everyone's selling emotions. What emotions do, does an accountant sell? They sell, sell peace of mind and clarity, right? As a business owner, as an individual, you want to have peace of mind that your, your uh, deductions are maximized, you're minimizing your tax, and that you're not going to go to jail. You want that peace of pretty mind. Pretty important, stay out of jail. Yeah, pr- I'm saying, pretty yeah. important, right? Uh, and for a business owner, you want clarity. Mm. Clarity on the numbers, clarity on information so that you can use to make big decisions. And when we look at all of that, it just came down to, well, how can you have peace of mind and clarity without understanding things? I, I personally struggle having peace of mind and clarity if I don't understand something, right? Yeah. So it's one of those things where from a business point of view, that naturally evolved and we thought that's the best path to go down. So in our communication, the way we try to communicate and in our videos and things like that, we try and make complex things simple. Uh, a lot of that is done using language in our language we try to avoid accounting terms as much as possible that's why sometimes accountants watch our content and they're like that's not right it's because we're oversimplifying it to to help you know the people who aren't qualified accountants understand complex things on a more personal level I think what happened for me was I have to understand things at a simple level for me to comprehend it as well so it really started off with me learning that way so for example, if I were, you know, this year has been huge for me getting into crypto and really understanding it for the last few years, I didn't, I never wanted to invest in something I didn't understand. Okay, you this up. That's cool. Yeah, go on. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, well, it's one of those things where I don't have to necessarily understand the technology and how to code, but I want to understand how it fits. What was the, 
you know, what was the case for Bitcoin and all that sort of stuff. And I couldn't just read what someone was saying. And if they were using a lot of tech terminology, if I couldn't understand it, I just couldn't comprehend it myself. And as a result, I couldn't make a decision on it. So based on the way I learned, I have to break things into building blocks. And the better I understand something, the better I am at breaking them into building blocks. And then they live in my head as these step one, step two, step three building blocks, right? When we started working together, I remember, you know, you had a bunch of stuff in a a bit of a mess and I'm like, you're like, oh, Andy, what do I do? Where do I start? And, you know, I probably sound a bit like a robot, but I'm like, all right, I close my eyes. I go off into my sort of accounting space. Then I'm like, okay, Simon, here's where we go. Here's where we go. Step one, blah, 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 blah. Step two, we do this. Step three, that's just how my brain works. And as a result, it, it merged really well with what we're trying to create at Clarico, which is making complex things simple. Yeah, not for sure, man. And now people listening to this, they're going to be open-minded people. They're going to be like-minded individuals. And again, you know, taking ownership of your finances is very empowering. And I, you need a good accountant to do that. You need good advice, regardless of whether you're running your own business uh, or not. I think it's, it's critical to have someone you can bounce this sort of information from because there are many things that you can do. But you spoke about crypto. Tell us how important it is just to be open-minded and learn about these new things, man, because I was scared of it too, and I've only started the last few months sort of looking into it. How important is it for everyday people just to understand or be prepared to understand what these new things are and what they can actually do for us? Oh, I'm, I'm just going to disclaimer this so much. I am terribly No financial biased. advice, by Not the way. Not financial advice, and <laughs> NFA, and I am terribly, terribly biased now. If we rewind a little bit, I remember looking at it, uh, Bitcoin when COVID first was happening and it crashed down to $3,000 US dollars at the time. Back then, I remember thinking, ah, oh, uh, stock market, every eight to 10 years, we have a correction, right? And it just so happened that, you know, during COVID, that was like between the eight to 10 year marks since our last one. And I had my cash sitting on the sidelines. I'm like, yes, I'm going to take advantage of this. And I took massive advantage of the stock market correction. And I remember at the time looking at Bitcoin and thinking, I should buy some Bitcoin, right? This was probably March, 2020. And I thought, ah, oh, I don't really get it. People just, it's valuable because people think together collectively say it's valuable and I don't know how to buy it. Oh, I can't be bothered, right? Well, you see the price now, it's very far away from $3,000 US dollars per Bitcoin. Uh, so what happened in probably December? Just, sorry, can I just jump in, man? Just to frame that, what is the price now? It's around 48000 Yeah, 48000 right? Yeah, okay. with, with all-time, all-time highs, uh, I think it was like sixty-eight or something like that, uh, probably a month ago. We're, we're going through a bit of a correction at the moment. So um, three th- from 3000 to 48000 in the space <laughs> of what, two years? In the space of two years, oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. Not even, yeah. But, uh, but what happened was... In December of 2020, during the Christmas break, I thought, okay, you know what? I definitely want to understand this and wrap my head around this. So I digested a lot of books. There was an audio book I'd been meaning to get through. It was just so dry and boring. I finally got through it. It's called The Bitcoin Standard and really highlighted to me, oh, these are the use cases. Here's what the argument for it is. And I remember at the time, it was like a light bulb moment where the, the, the moment I understood and wrapped my head around, oh, this is, I've been looking at this thing wrong. I've been trying to look at this thing like a company on the stock exchange. I can't do that. It's not, it's not that. Do you know what I mean? There's no, there's no one who's a CEO of Bitcoin making executive decisions with employees trying to maximize revenue. It doesn't work that way, right? The moment I stopped looking at it like a uh, like that, and the moment I even stopped looking at it as a currency, I know people call it cryptocurrency. To me, that's a little bit misleading. It's a crypto asset. The moment I looked at it as like a crypto commodity, so like gold, but on the internet, yeah. then it clicked. Then I was like, ah, I need I need to get some of this. And then this whole year has just been one giant learning down the rabbit hole. This is a deep space and it can be super overwhelming for people who don't really understand it. It's like learning a new language, right? Like you're, you're, you're yeah, I can see you nodding your head there. Yeah, look, I mean, I've only, literally, I'm scratching the surface and, I, and I've actually, I've got someone teaching me how to do this as we speak now and just the basic fundamentals of it and what it is and what I learned. Obviously, when we say, when we think crypto, obviously, the first thing we think of is Bitcoin, right? Well, that's the first thing I think of and probably the average person listening to this is going to think of Bitcoin, now, I don't even know how it started, but what I do know is that there's 21 million Bitcoin in circulation. That's it, 
right? Unlike money or our currency at the moment, which I'm concerned about, and I'll let you talk about this as well. And again, we're not giving any financial advice, so another disclaimer, but (laughs) money's just being printed and printed and printed. And over the last 12 months, you know, the US has printed another 40% of their money supply and it's not backed by anything. So once upon a time, it was backed by gold. And that all changed in 1971. And since then, they've just been printing and printing and printing. So this paper thing doesn't have anything tangible to measure it by. It's just paper, in a sense, or numbers on a screen. Does that make sense? So, I mean, obviously, crypto is is capped, as far as I understand. There's only so much uh, Bitcoin you can buy and other cryptocurrencies that you can buy. Can you sort of just explain yeah. the difference then between money or cash money and, and crypto? Yeah, look, I think you, you did a pretty good job of it. And rather than me sort of going through the history of it, I'd really recommend Peter Poole check out the Bitcoin standard. It definitely does a much better job of explaining the history of money and the history of gold and also like our sort of pseudo money. We had like, uh, you know, there were flowers back in the day, people use shells and stuff like that. It went through the history of all of that to lead to where we are now. But yeah, Bitcoin, the supply is capped. It's all built into the code, essentially. And to date, the code hasn't really been broken. And that's one of the reasons why people trust in the Bitcoin, right? Because when people talk about it being trustless, it just means you don't need to trust someone. Like when you trust the fiat currency cash, you're trusting a few things. You're trusting number one, uh, the bank that you have that money in is going to be okay, right? And if it's not okay, the government's going to make sure it's okay so that the citizens are are going to be protected from losing all their money that they had in the bank. The second thing you're trusting is that the government is, you know, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a legal, it's a law to accept whatever currency you're dealing with and people, other people would accept it for the value that you're all agreeing upon. So on the surface, you're trusting a third party, which, look, to be honest, I don't really have an issue with. There are people out there who are like, nah, we want a fully trustless system. Look, I, I see there is room for government and all that sort of stuff, because if we didn't have it, it'll be anarchy. It'll be total chaos. Yeah, I agree. Yep. But when you have a system where they can just make the money printer go, right? It's just like, oh, jeepers. What happens then when you have all this supply of money hitting the markets now it doesn't go to the average show a lot of it goes to large institutions like we're, we're talking america yeah but at some point in time that needs to have some sort of effect you can't have no effect at all and the one thing which people are really worried about at the moment is inflation and i think we're just seeing inflation figures tick up like now in the last you know couple of reports uh, from the u.s but i really believe and i i can't remember who i heard this from but it, you know it's definitely not my own genius which came up with this but i really uh, i i did agree with it is that the actual inflation which we're experiencing is so much more than what is actually reported because if you actually look at the necessities that we actually need and i know people say there's lots of things which go into the impact of these but if you really look at it look at the price of houses if you look at the price of petrol you know it's been a dollar 80 for a fair while between a yeah. 130 and 180 yeah. you look at the price of you know goods and things like that you would think that us living in the technologically advanced society, which innovation is a deflationary pressure yeah. on prices, yep. why are all these prices so much higher, right? And I know there's other in- impacts and things like that, but the end of the story is the $1 you had from a year ago or two years ago doesn't have the same purchasing power than the $1 you have now. That's true. And yeah. it's that fact that, people you know use that to argue for bitcoin where it's a deflationary well you know it's it's capped so really the, the inflation the, the inflation side of it is you know what the inflation is going to be i sorry i shouldn't have said deflationary but um but then the idea is because we haven't really to me found what a bitcoin is worth and that's what it's worth the reality is people are speculating that it's going to be a lot higher than what it is now right yeah. i think when bitcoin gets to the level where okay everyone knows that's the bitcoin's worth i don't know how far into the future that is it's not going to be this asset with people which people then flock to to get the returns it's just what it is now yeah but going back to your earlier question well why is it so important to be open to yeah just be yeah understand it even or, or understand consider it, yeah. understanding it absolutely uh, yeah so the, the biggest one for me is the idea of blockchain technology okay 
I really believe what works, and this isn't just for Bitcoin or Ethereum, I'm talking about the whole space. What we're experiencing is the evolution of the internet for business. I really believe that. And when I think back on my life, I'm 34 years old. You know, uh, it's not life I've been through heaps of people, you know, heaps of um, history and like ups and downs and stuff like that compared to the older generations. But when I look at back at my life, I think, well, what have been the other events which have really changed up how society has worked as a whole, how business has worked, how money works. And I was at an age where I could comprehend the impact of that and potentially take advantage of it. The internet was probably the, 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 you know, the first one too young for that, right? I was too young to understand the impact of that. Next was like the dot-com boom and all that sort of stuff. I was still too young for that. I can't think of anything in, you know, in the last 20 years or a bit less than that, where I've been sort of cognizant of, oh, I comprehend the impact that this can have and the opportunity here. That's why I feel like people should be open to at least understanding what is a Bitcoin, what is a crypto as a whole. Yep. And I really believe that whether you like it or not, whether you think this is like a... You know, a fad? Fashion. Yeah, a fad <laughs> or, or not. People thought the internet was a fad too. They, they thought did. that. They yeah. did, exactly. But whether yeah. you think it's a fad or not, the, the fact is we've got governments now looking at launching their own CBDCs, which is their central bank digital currencies, right? Using blockchain technology. You've got companies like Facebook renaming themselves to Meta. You've got companies like Square becoming Block, right? You've got all these really large investors and companies now moving into this space i i you know if i was a betting person i think they know what they're doing they're literally putting their companies on the line because they're gearing themselves up for the future can i ask you something you're obviously you're good at simplifying things let's simplify this right so what's blockchain right and why is it relevant that facebook have rebranded to meta how's that relevant in the the crypto space Oh, you're asking the hard questions. So I'm not technical from like understanding yeah. coding and things like that yeah. point of view. But to me, blockchain technology is essentially, and once again, I'm good at simplifying things. The better I understand it, the easier I can simplify it. Yeah. But how my, my understanding of it is this. Imagine, let's, let's start with how I understand blockchain technology to work in terms of an example of like, me drawing parallels and then we'll look at well why is that good okay imagine you're um imagine you're on a busy street you're, you're sitting at a cafe the, the busy street's got lots of other tables and chairs you've got high-rise buildings people office apartments and things like that you don't know who's in other office apartments you know across the road from you but you know everyone's everyone's this is this is a high population density busy street and all of a sudden bang a car accident happens, right? And there's a car accident which has happened on the busy street. So what happens is you look at the car accident and you think, oh, jeepers, that red car hit the blue car in this exact way. And you, you, you log all the details of that, of that car accident. If it was just up to you and then someone asked for your opinion, you're getting the opinion of one person. Mm. Now, if somehow you can correlate that or sorry, match that opinion up with the person in the office across the road who exactly says, yeah, that's right. Red car, hit the blue car. Here are the exact details. Then you've got someone who's a little bit further down the road who can also confirm the same thing. All of a sudden you have all these unrelated parties confirming the same thing. Now, if we move that model into information, imagine the car accident is a transaction confirming that Simon has sent Andy something. Or imagine if that uh, car accident was like a buy or a sell. I have bought this or I have sold this specific thing. You have all these other third parties confirming that. Now, what I just described in, in a way is like a really, really dumb way of how blockchain technology works. But the idea is you have these blocks, things happen in it. It's all confirmed. It's confirmed by people who can't collaborate with each other and you know, manipulate the information and then it's it's sealed off in a block. Okay. And then another block. 
comes on. Okay. And then it happens all again. Now I'm sure a, 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 someone who's very techie is going to listen to this and think that is not how it works. But, but in terms of like helping that's me understand, yeah. that's the model, which I, I had uh, used to help me understand it in my own mind. In terms yeah. of, Okay. This is why people are moving to this thing because when the history is there, you don't, it's not like it's written on a piece of paper, which can be then fraudulently changed when the history is there it's there it's transparent on anyone who wants to search the blockchain to to find yep so everything's confirmed there it's 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 in black and white Mm -hmm. yeah that's right what about the facebook thing i know they've changed their branding to meta so the company remains facebook as far as i know or the actual name of the business or entity is facebook is that right or yeah so so with meta itself even though they're not changing it to like blockchain or whatever it is, it's a play on the metaverse. Now I was having a chat with a few friends in terms of, Hey, I was asking them, Hey, what is the metaverse? And not many people can tell me what the metaverse is. Right. And, and this is one of those things where I'm delving into at the moment. Yeah. But there's an article I will actually send you uh, after this call. It's, it's like seven rules on what the metaverse is. And my understanding of what it is, it's a new way of how we're going to interface with the digital world. If we look back at, well, look at our habits with the internet. When the internet first rolled out, you know, what was the first thing that they did? I think one person sent like a word or something, just something so insignificant to another, be able to do it to another computer and they were celebrating. Yeah. And that evolved and it went to email, right? And that evolved and you know, people are doing transactions with each other you know, people playing games with each other. More and more, we're going to be interacting like we're doing now on Zoom yeah. over the internet. So when, when you've got companies who are rebranding to things like the metaverse, I think what that really is sig- signaling to us as consumers is they think that this space, this digital space, this digital world is going to keep growing and it's going to become a larger and larger part of our lives. Have you seen the movie Ready Player One before? No. no. So um, some people think this is what the metaverse is going to become where people like plug into their VR headsets and it's going to be this dystopian world. But in, in the metaverse itself is going to be really like, you know, you can be whatever you want to be. Some people do think that. Uh, I'm not so sure at the moment that they could be totally right, but there are definitely some... Uh, companies out there building out decentralized spaces of land in the metaverse essentially for ease of understanding you can just think of met- the metaverse of, as the internet okay so it's yeah. another version of the internet or it's like the internet no, with it, steroids it's, or, or what? so like, so it's it's happens all in the internet but okay. to me it's like how the how does the internet interact with our everyday life where it becomes part of it right Deeper than me, for example, if I want to go see a doctor just logging on to, you know, www.teledoctor.com, but to the level where, for example, I'm a kid, I'm playing a computer game, as an example, and uh, I'm playing as a character in a game, and there's a pop-up which comes on where, you know, in this virtual world, I'm running through this virtual world, a pop-up comes on, and it's like, hey, are you feeling any of these symptoms? Do you want to see quickly see like a digital doctor, right, where... I'm so immersed in that, but so are all the suppliers, right? All the businesses are so immersed in that. So it's, it's not like I need to navigate to a browser to go to a website to specifically find that. These are popping up in this world I am in. That's what potentially could happen. But yeah. let's, let's see how adoption goes. See how I, feel like, yeah. I feel like people could be a bit hesitant of that and cautious of that too you said uh so i'm just reading your bio here or the some of the notes or the pre-show notes that you sent me just growing up right i want to talk about your childhood because i think a lot of people listening to this maybe haven't had a favorable childhood or they've had circumstances or things happen uh, to them uh which you know in, in hindsight could be for them but we'll, we'll we'll get to that but you said that your dad was quite business orientated your mum was more spiritual minded and also, you also mentioned that you didn't grow up in an environment that was favorable for self-esteem as well. So you just want to run with that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I, wasn't actually, I wasn't born in Australia. I, I actually came here when I was three years old. Yep. Uh, and 
we migrated here to to have a better life. So dad yep. came first and then mum and I came over a few years later. When we first came, it was pretty hard. As in, we didn't really have money, didn't really have, well, know anyone other than the other migrants that were on the plane with us, essentially. And as a result, our parents always had to, you know, they were just always working heaps and heaps and heaps. I feel like that, that coupled with the whole Asian family thing where, you know, uh, you, you study hard, try yeah. and be a doctor or a lawyer or something that, you know, all those jokes are real, like le- legit. The pressure <laughs> is real, right? Um, well, they're jokes, man. That's exactly yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. It created yeah. this pressure cooker where it wasn't, it wasn't a healthy uh, childhood in the sense that both parents were, um, you know, it was probably quite a toxic relationship with each other. Mm. And, you know, that because you've got, you've got new country, uh, money problems, overwork problems, and just trying to make things work. Couple that with the fact that I, my academic ability wasn't the best. Um, it was, there's a lot of sort of physical and emotional abuse there. And I, I think that all was all a result of that pressure cooker. It, I, I distinctly recall that I don't remember any, any time, for example, as a kid where I was praised for it, for things. I, I remember okay. it was either you're, you're punished for not doing good, but you're never praised. Like there's, there's only negative reinforcement, but there's never any positive reinforcement. And, you know, this isn't something I, I hold against my parents or anything, but it, I remember being at school and seeing, you know, people play play sports and their parents would come and watch them and stuff and like just never had that right yeah. so there was never anything which sort of built that self-esteem and from a kid point of view uh, i think a lot of a lot of early generation asian families probably experience the same thing where it's kids should be seen and not heard right you, you sort of respect your elders and you don't talk back yep. all that's well and good if you want to pump out people who are really obedient and and you know really good at following these orders not so good if you want that core confidence core confidence feeling yeah and that really became apparent the older I got and the more time I spent in the workforce where I'll see some people who were just so confident and I remember looking at them and thinking why like where did they get that from Mm. you know what I mean it's like it's almost like a superpower to have yeah, I remember distinctly being in a workplace and there was this, this kid who started, he was, I think he was like 19 at the time or something. I can't remember, but he would just roll in and have a chat to any of the owners of this large, large, large business, right? We're talking hundred plus people, um, employees, uh, you know, and he would just be able to chat to chat to the seniors, the owners and stuff as if, you are all equals. Walk in and the park. I, exactly. Walk in the park. Mm. And there wasn't any sort of fear or anything. It was like, hey, okay, you know, how are you going? Just cruising down the hallway. Oh, yeah, a good day. And roll the conversation on. And that blew my mind. And that's the point which for me, I thought, okay, whatever that is, I'm sh- I don't have it. But what I do have is work ethic and... I can break this down with an analytical mind and understand how to rebuild, like build what that is, uh, you know, from scratch. How did you do that? I mean, where did you start? Because obviously growing up in that environment, there's obviously you've decided to take the good out of that. Some people go the other way as well. They say, well, look, I mean, that's my circumstances. That's what happened. And therefore, that's why I am the way I am. And that's it. So I'm a believer that, confidence can be it can be learned i believe it's an acquired skill set it's a it's a mental faculty that we're not really we're not taught how to develop i think kids are getting better at that these days i know my wife's a school teacher and she's they put a lot of work into really nurturing the kids in that regard but i still think there's there's definitely a way to go but you know you've obviously chosen to use your experience and go right well that didn't work i didn't like that i like what that guy's doing Therefore, 
I want what he's got. How do you go about it? Like with everything, I think it was a complete accident that I didn't turn out bad, as in, as in I chose to go with the more positive things out of it. I think that was a complete accident. Because uh, you can go either way, can't you? I mean, you the, there's a fork in the road type where... I don't, I don't remember it being a clear distinction. I think enough things happened which nudged me in the one direction and all of those things were not of my conscious decision-making. Yeah. Okay. Because I remember, I remember because as a kid, it was just so tumultuous. I remember like, you know, parents would be fighting all the time. And the one distinct memory I have is as a kid is wanting to sleep, but every week I would always be, you know, at least half of the week, three, four days, I would, I'd always be, you know, pulled up in the middle of the night because parents are fighting and, you know, I was always sort of caught in the middle or I was pulled up because I probably, I don't know, didn't do the homework or I like had bad grades and I was beaten and stuff like that. So I remember just as a kid wanting to sleep, right? And I was just wanting to be like, I just want to be left alone. Mm. And I remember I wanted that so bad that that I just couldn't understand why my parents were so emotional all the time. That was just, there was so much fire there, right? Yeah. And so as a kid, using my kid simple logic brain, I thought, well, if emotion, if, if, if they were fighting all the time because of emotions, then what would be the solution is to remove the emotion out of any decision and look at it objectively. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then we can avoid this situation. Right. Yeah. And look, don't get me wrong. It works as a time and a place for that sort of thinking, but you can also imagine that the, that causes a lot of suppression as well. So I think it was a matter of it wasn't me taking the uh, making a conscious decision to take the positive path. It was me suppressing the emotion. And then it's just like, logically, what are the best paths to go down? So I didn't actually realize the whole confidence thing until probably my mid early to mid 20s okay. where I was like, Oh, there's this thing where people out there, there are people out there who don't feel anxious going into a room who don't feel socially awkward. There are people out there who, who feel completely at ease when talking to other people. There are people out there who can completely feel at ease when expressing themselves without fear or worrying about every single word they say, the way they said it. Did I say that right? Oh, what does he think of me now? What does she think of me now? Right. All these, I used to have all these thoughts bombarding my head. Yeah. And the moment I found out, Hey, there are people out there who, you know, don't experience this stuff. I thought, okay, surely this can be learned. And then probably, you know, where sometimes ignorance is bliss. I feel yeah. like I was blissfully ignorant in thinking that this is completely learnable, that it was true for me. And I think it's true for anyone, as long as you're able to accept into your mind that it's completely learnable and it's within your realm of possibility. Yeah. I think it's only impossible for you if you feel like, no, that can never be me. Right. Cause I remember I looked at that. And I'm like, okay, the thought of that can never be me never entered my head in my head was like, okay, straight away. I went into analytical mode when I saw people who were very confident and thought, okay, what are the factors which made, makes them confident? Okay. How do I reverse engineer this? So naturally it all started off with the physical stuff, the way they stood, the way they presented themselves, the way they took up space. So there was a lot of emulating and copying all of that. I probably sound like a robot learning how to be a human. That's probably what I was for the, you know, in my, in my twenties. Right. And I also got, I got into, um, at the time, you know, uh, being single, I got into pickup learning how to be like, okay, well, as a single guy, I want to be attracted to girls. How do I do that? So learning all that forced me to learn the social skills side of things, mm. but then that also forced me to learn, okay, well, you've, got to have some level of confidence there to be able to be attractive to to uh, the opposite sex to be able to communicate in the workplace and things like that so it all started with the external factors i was trying to change you know changing my habits changing my um uh you know fitness health uh how i held myself yeah and then changing things like trying to make more money you know grooming better all that sort of stuff and it really helped 
And what I found was that gave me situational confidence where I would be really confident in certain situations because I had practiced it and I had sort of built an environment where I could be confident in those situations, like in a workplace, that's situational confidence. If you're, if you work at somewhere for like 10 years, you're going to be more confident than someone who starts from day one, mm. generally speaking, right? Yep. So you, you have situational confidence in that workplace. If, for example, you always went out and talked to girls at bars, uh, but you never went into a boardroom to talk to, you know, high level executives in a boardroom, you'd have situational confidence in the bar, but maybe not in the boardroom. So you've got situational confidence. But the key word there is confidence. You still have confidence. So you at least I was learning the feeling of that's what confidence feels like. Yeah. Then a bunch of things happened, which which uh, threw me where I was like, oh, I'm not in these situations. Where's that, where's that confidence? Where are you at? Yeah. All right. I was thinking, hang on. I thought I had this confidence thing down pat. Yeah. Where are you at confidence? But the paradox is, right, that in order to, to you know, develop that situational awareness and that confidence, you know, inevitably you have to do something that you haven't done before. Mm-hmm. Therefore, there's going to be an element of fear there. And I think that that fear doesn't go away. Like the more you want to push yourself to another level, that fear is still there. It's just at a, at a different level. That's why I think that one of the big misconceptions and something that I've learned is that confidence is something that where you have to, you've got to earn the right to be confident in the sense that you've got to do something that you feel good about that was quite challenging. So basically you've got to challenge yourself. And in order to challenge yourself, you've got to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. Absolutely. Would you agree with that? A hundred percent. And Part of that situational confidence was, I, I remember, I distinctly remember uh, there was th- this one time where I, um, actually, we'll come back to this, but just to build on the situational confidence thing was what that, what that actually showed me where, when I built situational confidence, went in, then you know, enjoyed that feeling for a while, then went into a situation where I didn't have that confidence. What that showed me was there was a nail, another level to it. So you've got confidence. Is there, there's layers to confidence. Absolutely. And situational yeah. confidence is the simplest one to get, and it's a great place to start because you can get it through external factors, right? Yep. But the second, the, the next layer, as I went down deep into it, was okay. How do I get that confidence feeling in situations where I haven't built situation situational confidence? And you can call that core confidence Yeah. where it's like, okay, I'm confident within myself. Even if I stuff up here, even if I have no idea what I'm talking about, right. I'm confident with myself to show up and I'm going to do better. And at least I can feel free to express myself and all of that sort of stuff. Is that why you started your personal development journey? Because we met at an event together. So I can't remember what year this was, to be honest. It's probably five or six years ago or, or close. But I recall meeting you at one of these events and I heard you talk. You actually spoke and I thought, wow, this guy's this guy's got it. You know, he's actually he's got something. And that's what that's what I thought when I first met you. And what was the catalyst though to, to actually putting yourself in that space? You know, because again, people listen to this, if they're not already in that space, they're they're considering or they're thinking about how can I become better in a certain area? How do I work on myself to accomplish that? And so ultimately you're going to get to work at some point, you know, to your mind. So, yeah. 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 It was a number of years ago. Uh, I'm glad you thought that when you met me because I probably wasn't feeling that inside. (laughs) Uh, And there you go. So again, yeah. yeah, Putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. So no, absolutely. The core confidence side comes, I, I, I found situational confidence and sort of external confidence is easier to acquire. Core confidence is much harder to acquire, but it's still achievable. And like when I say use a word acquire, I use that really carefully. You can acquire it. Yeah. What core confidence, so if we break it down into the two, two layers, situational, you can get fit, look better, make money, get fame if you wanted to, you know, get more familiar with your environment, create better relationships, and you're going to be have situational confidence. Core confidence needs a lot of internal uh, internal work. So it's really about peeling back the layers of what has been holding you back. So for me, it was a lot of childhood traumas, which which I really had to unpack a lot of that. And that was 
that journey for core confidence has been I don't know, years. Like you said, you met me five, six years ago. I'm still mm. on that journey of yeah. uncovering the core confidence. I don't want to say the quiet. Let's talk about, let's call it uncovering the core confidence. I'm still on the journey of uncovering my core confidence. And it's been five, six years, numerous workshops. And when I say workshops, I don't mean, I don't mean just rocking up to something and, uh, you know, le- you know, listening and going away from the weekend and thinking, okay, that's, a, that's, that's all good. I'm good now. It's really going into the work. I remember there's a few workshops I, workshops I did, which were giant social experiments designed to make you really, really uncomfortable. Yeah. Extremely uncomfortable, right? As in so vulnerable that you've got nowhere else to hide. Mm. And I don't think it ever registered in my head that, doing these things was scary. I think how I registered in my head was like, oh, Andy, are you scared to... I'll give you an example. There was this one workshop I did where there's like 40, 50 random people, right? Hmm. And um, and one of the exercises was uh, to, 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 st- to stand up and you know, everyone's in their underwear, right? Underwear. Stand up. Yeah, in the underwear. So big semicircle. You've got the facilitator, facilitators sitting in the middle of the circle. And um, one by one, you get up and you've got to share what you're most shameful about. Right? Everyone's in their underwear. You can go up naked if you wanted to. What sort of event is this? Yeah. So Never they, heard of anything like this. Yeah. So I had like, done some stuff as well. Yeah. These got like... These guys designed social experiments basically for to see how you show up as a leader, to show see how you show up as a person, but also to basically break down all those layers. So I'm like, okay, I, I've got to just if I'm doing this, I've just got to go, I've just got to go for it, right? Um, and that was one of the most terrifying things ever I've ever done because it would be. I had yeah. I had to talk about you know and they wouldn't they wouldn't just let you run up and say okay i feel the most shame about this and run off you have to stand there and if they think you're wanting to leave they basically say no no no, you gotta keep standing there until you process all of this so you imagine you're forced to face off against those covered up layers of yourself and there's other things like you know going to the middle of the run them all and just singing at the top of your lungs and stuff like that and all that sort of stuff right <laughs> it's it's stuff like that which people think oh i don't want to do that and yeah. and i remember i felt that so much and even if you told me to do it today i would still feel that hesitancy i would hate yeah. to do it again right but each time i did something like that each little time it's like me getting evidence for my internal core confidence self to be like hey andy you're still alive. It's okay. You didn't die. Hey, Andy, you're not being like hunted down by a mob. You're cool. So each time I exposed myself to that was 1% more of core confidence being like, hey, that's okay. I can be here. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, yeah. right, okay. We're, we're feeling this. We're vibing with this. We're, we're experiencing this over and over again. And it, what it did was expand my... Uh, I wouldn't say comfort level because it's still really uncomfortable. Expand the tolerable uh, discomfort level. And that just kept expanding. And the more, the more discomfort you can tolerate, the more comfortable you'll feel in that discomfort. And that's what to me feels is confidence, core confidence. Yeah. Right? yeah. And yeah, like I, I forgot where I was going with that conversation, but, oh, I but, agree more. Yeah. Yeah, but, but it is something which is learnable. And it is to me, it is a matter of just going, putting yourself in situations where you're uncomfortable but then that also creates a loop where it creates a lot of inner turmoil things come up like yeah. therapy and unwrapping those trumps things will come up mm. and as they come up if you're if you face off against them you're going to come out a lot better the other end it's just yeah. during it it really sucks yeah right? so yeah it was just five six years of doing a lot of that sort of stuff. And oh, that's where I was going. The, the place where my brain was going, uh, my brain was, um, how my brain was working at the time was, wasn't, oh, I need to go away from that because that seems really scary. It was really like, Andy, are you going to bitch out on this? Mm. 
Andy, you know, if you don't do this, like you're like, you know, how can you, how can you, how can you face off against yourself, Andy? Yeah. Yeah. It was really coming from a place of not the, not the most healthiest place. It was very challenging. And it was like, come on, what you're going to back down. Do you know what I mean? That was my internal self-talk. And I still, don't get me wrong. I do like that voice because it challenges me to do a lot of things. It just, I'm coming to learn that that's not the voice I need to use and listen to all the time. But that's what drove me to do a lot of those things because it was more of like a proving to myself that I can. So I had to keep proving to myself that I could just keep going further, keep going more extreme and keep doing it. So it, that's why I guess the fear never really was enough to hold it back because because I guess the fear to myself of proving much to myself that I couldn't was probably worse. I think it's a momentum thing too. Like as you start throwing yourselves in these, you know, what appears to be ridiculous situations, you know, standing in a room in your underwear, in a vulnerable situation, you know, singing in Rundle Mall, things like that. The more often you put yourself in those situations and the more often you pull it off and you follow through and you do it, uh, you develop like a bit of a momentum train. I reckon. And mm. so it just can snowball. But the only way to maintain that momentum is to keep doing it. So as easily as you can build it, um, it can stop quite quickly as well. That's that's what I've found. Um, and one thing as well that I admire about you, man, is that you're quite lighthearted about it. You, you don't take you don't take yourself too seriously, you know. So you're, um, I think you mentioned as well that you try and make everything a game. You know, you love games. Yeah, I love games. Just talk like, about it, that. Like, it, 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 if you call it a us... game, I'll be like, all in. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I, the, the fact that, the fact that, well, to me, life is a giant game. Like, it, it is a giant game. As in, as in, there's, there's a few ways to look at it, right? For some people, they look at it like you've only got one shot at life and you need to make it count. Whereas, and I agree with that. It's true. But just as true to me is like, life is a game. If we look mm. at, society how it's set up it's kind of just one giant game right there's certain rules to this game there is and if you follow those rules you know you can get further uh in society than not following those rules but it's one giant game and if we look at everything anytime there's rules and um even social situations social circles that you you have people who like socialize and they're playing the game of being a socialite being in social Mm. circles popularity there's a game of fame life to me is just one giant game made up of a ton of little games so all of a sudden when i look at it that way things aren't so serious because we all end up in the same place (laughs) you know what i mean like none of us are getting out of this thing alive (laughs) don't get me wrong it'll suck but then again the idea of living forever also sucks like imagine if you were immortal and you live forever that doesn't sound like that much fun either so i kind of like the idea of okay this is finite and uh there's this is a game so why not have have fun in it don't get me wrong there are times where i absolutely absolutely super stressed out and things like that but all in all uh there is ability just to make light in a funny situation yeah um yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things where I could be so exhausted at the end of a day, where the, whether it's a day full of like working out or doing mm. stuff in the garden. But if you then said to me, hey, Andy, let's go play a game. Like, let's go play soccer or let's go play, I, I don't know, like whatever, like there's a physical game. I'd be like, okay, I'm in because it's just the, the, the fun of the game. And games, that yeah. extends into business for me as well. You're a big business head as well, obviously. You're quite passionate about business. You've always wanted to go into business for yourself from a young age. How do you get stuff done? There's got to be a process to prioritize things. Procrastination is something that is alive and well uh, with all of us. It's so easy just to have the right intention and not actually execute and get things done. And one of my biggest challenges is execution. You know, every, anyone can come up with these ideas and you might get inspired in the moment. You're talking about, uh, yeah, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. But then, you know, it's easy to talk the talk. But, you know, can you actually walk the walk? So how do you actually materialize these ideas? How do you put them into action? Is there something that you've learned over your time? Are you a to-do list guy? Are you a party guy? Is there certain things that you only do? Is it an 80-20 rule? 
how do you how do you go about it? I'm smiling at the moment. The reason I'm smiling is as you're list, listing off like the 80-20 rule and to-do list and stuff like that, it resonates with me because there was a period where I went through a personal development binge, listening to all the podcasts, reading all the books, and I was just like consuming, consuming, consuming. One thing I found out off the back of it was I retained very little information. Yeah. It's, just it's, almost, it's, it's almost a form of procrastination, actually. It, it is a form of procrastination, Because I think right? there comes a point, you're right, where you know, you know what you have to do mm-hmm. and you just got to start. And Absolutely. that is my Achilles heel. You know, no yeah. better example than this podcast where, you know, three years thinking about doing it and then finally got myself yeah. in the right. What was that? <laughs> you're, here, you're here now, though. Well, we're here. So yeah. they say better late than never. So we're Absolutely. here. You're Go on. So just continue that because, yeah, you got into the habit of just listening over and over again to stuff you already know. Yeah. And what I found was it got to a point where if you read enough personal development books, they all start sounding the same. Yeah. And everything I'm saying, like people have probably heard before. Yeah. It just comes down to, to me, personal development is like, it's a tool, right? The most common thing is it, it is the the spark which lights up the flame and then you sort of keep doing it for a while to keep the flame going but at some point you kind of need to keep that flame going yourself yes correct okay so i think it's a great tool i'm all for it but from how do i get things done uh, i think this go comes back down to that core confidence thing where i'll give you an example there's a version of me which had no core confidence and not much self-awareness but i was learning the the cues to be situationally confident or externally confident i was lacking that thing internally right so so what happened is that triggered me there was that you know trigger which caused me to go look at ah i'm missing confidence in some areas how do i get core confidence yeah now to get core confidence if you're needing to peel back layers and you're putting yourself into these situations where you really don't want to be in there's a voice in your head which is just like andy what are you doing or if you know it could be a negative voice which is constantly berating you being like that's not good enough right or like hey are you bitching out currently what are you doing having that voice and being able to overcome it requires self-awareness like internal self-awareness and the more you get to hear that voice internally the more you get to know it Mm. and for me as i started to peel back those layers and faced off with past traumas and things like that. Mm. It allowed me to get to know myself better. That's powerful. And, and I really believe the more some like anyone knows themselves, the better they know themselves, the better they will know how they work. And also like their values and things like yeah. that. Yeah. You know I what challenge I mean? Anyone, I challenge anyone listening, find another accountant that's as deep as that. That's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's so, so powerful, man. Yeah, really it comes out just like massively self-awareness. Like yeah. to, to me, it's, and it's not self, like self-awareness, like kind of how Gary Vee talks about, but I mean, go deeper. So you know how um, you brought up earlier that, you know, mum was super spiritual and yeah. you know, dad was super business. This is, I've got to really thank my mum for. It's a lot of that self-awareness and, and really being silent. For me, meditation is getting in touch with myself and, getting to know that yeah voice better there are people who can't be alone right yeah. why not is it because i don't like that voice in the head well if you you don't always have to get along with that voice but if you start getting to know it it's like knowing your own body yeah. and that itself creates its confidence if you know the body and like how your you work that's <laughs> going to create a level of confidence yeah so then that goes into the getting things done i'm very to me uh it's a scale you have people who are naturally super slothful and just want to chill and not do much then you have people who are like super hyper and can't stop okay Mm. any reason could so any fundamental factor could be the driving factor between behind why they are one on the other for myself personally and this comes down to knowing yourself and uncovering those layers is uh because of how i grew up nothing was good enough so if nothing was good enough, I could never rest. Goes in back into the whole me not being able to sleep yeah, thing. Wow. Yeah. If I could never rest, I had to keep moving forward. Otherwise, I don't feel like I'm progressing because I need to prove to myself I'm good enough. Yeah. As I've been unpacking that over time, I'm learning, hey, Andy, you are enough, right? You're actually enough. But 
that voice is still there and I can still have access to that voice of like, get off your ass, go work. Like you're going to watch Netflix for an hour or two or Hey, you, you know, you got your oh, whole yeah. afternoon, go build this. Yeah. Right. That voice is still there. So now it's about tapping into that. It's like, okay, I'll use that tool to drive me forward. Right. So where I am now is I, I, I can choose to wield that tool, mm. but, but because of how, how I was brought up, I was naturally the person who wouldn't stop. So what I had to learn was to force myself to stop. I had to like yeah. build in structured rest. So for me, it was less about, Hey, how do I do, do all these things? It was more so about, ah, uh, what place am I doing these things from and how do I stop now for the people who are more slothful, this is where the self-awareness and knowing yourself really comes in, right? How do you get leverage onto yourself so that you can act and do more things because there's pros and cons of both. I'm more prone to burnout, like way more prone to burnout. Yeah. So I, in that, in that, in this journey of understanding myself, I know there was a pattern I was going in where around July every year, I would stop meditating because I thought, oh yeah, I got this, you know, I'm feeling pretty chill, pretty good. And then around October, November, I would start burning out and be freaking out and just a bundle of stress. And then I would learn, oh, maybe I need to start meditating again. So it took me about two, three years. So I'm not a quick learner, obviously, because it took me two, three years to be like, I sh- maybe I should not stop meditating in July, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, but it's so true, man. I mean, it's because you said it, you mentioned it earlier, you know, you can go to, you can attend something for a weekend and go, oh, yeah, I'll take that on board. But in reality, you have to do, you have to, it's the conversations you have with yourself every day. It's what you do when you wake up in the morning. It's how you prime yourself. It's how you get yourself ready for the day. It's, and then you have to do that consistently. It is. And the um, best people at anything, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I know, anyone I've spoken to, whether it's sport or business, finance, whatever, they all agree. It's, it's the small actions you do every single day and how consistent you are in doing that. Absolutely. I mean, I'll definitely, you know, share, you know, share the tangible things I do, but I just wanted to really flag that I think a lot of it was driven by something internal yeah. for me. And um, it's not necessarily from the healthiest place. So, you know, don't, you know, probably like the biggest message is just because you're not doing all these things, I'd say don't beat yourself up over it as well. Yeah. But the more you know yourself and the more you know what your values are, it becomes easier to do because then you know the why you want to do do the certain actions. Yeah. But if we go back to something tangible for me is discipline. Like one I thing. Love I'm, this topic. Love discipline. Like real, I like discipline. Huge. Yeah. One thing which when I you know, first got together uh, with my wife, one of the things she used to always say to me is, Andy, you're so harsh on yourself. You're so hard on yourself. And once again, like everything, when I first hear something, immediately sort of kit to the gut and just like am i am mm. i too harsh on myself do i need to be more gentle on myself and i went through a journey of then exploring that and for me it came back to no 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 no. i like this harshness yeah. in a quote unquote harshness with myself i think you're perceiving it as harshness for me i'm perceiving it as discipline mm. for me to let go of and let myself off the hook for too many things i suffer for that yep. like i'm i'm going to be the beneficiary of that disadvantage I don't want to be the beneficiary of that disadvantage, right? So, so what that really came down to was building the muscle of discipline. And I find it's one of those skills where, or habits where it's so easy to lose and so hard to build. Like really, yeah, really absolutely easy to lose. Like it, yeah. because uh, I think I'm pretty sure there's a scientific terminology for this, but we well, always like, go to the path like fitness. Of, yeah, it's like fitness, right? We go to exactly the path of like fitness. You know, you can run, it takes you a long time to build up. Say you want to build up and run 10Ks and then you get to that point. If you stop for a month, just a month, mm-hmm. and it might have taken you six months to get to that point, you might not be back to where you started, but you'll be significantly a fair way back to where you were. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, by nature, we we take the easiest path. Yeah. Right. You know, what's yeah. going to be easier, you know, sitting and just chilling out and watching, you know, watching your favorite show basically all, all, all day long or all right, I've got to go to the gym. Okay, I need to work on work on the next business plan. Okay, I need to make some templates and things like that or research into these assets I want to invest in. There is going to be the discipline where we have to right. 
do something we don't want to do. And that's one thing which I'd say another superpower, uh, like everyone's got superpowers. I think it, the key is just finding what your superpower is. And that only comes down to how well you know yourself. So get to know yourself. It's almost like you get to know people that you become friends with. You ask questions, you probe when they're down, you're there for them, you help them unpack stuff, but we don't do that for ourselves. Yeah. So the more, if we apply how we get to know other people to how we know ourselves, it's going to really help with a lot of these things like discipline mm. and things like that. And knowing where you sit on the spectrum, are you someone who's nonstop, which means you need to build in structured rest. So then that's, that's what I do. I've got, I live by my calendar. I've every three months I build in staycations and I book them in advance. I pay for them. Even if I don't want to go, I've paid for it. It forces me to rest, right? If you're, that's my leverage to myself. I pay for it in advance. It's done. It forces me to rest. Yeah. If you're someone who's more slothful, get leverage on yourself. What means enough for you that you know you have to follow through on it, right? Mm -hmm. And then you build in forcing yourself to work, right? For me, I'm good at forcing myself to do things I don't necessarily want to do for the benefit of Andy in the long run. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting conscious of time, man. We've, we've covered a lot today. We started off talking about crypto and then we've gotten really deep into this space as well. And we're probably going to have to do this again. We're, we're going to do, we're going to, I'm going to start breaking things down into specific sort of topics. Mate, you're very well versed in, in, in some areas. So I reckon we're going to have to do this again as far as business, crypto as well, finance, like just making or taking more ownership of your finances. I mean, you're in that space. So we'll definitely do this again. But I've got one more question I want to ask you before we go. Now, this is about tapping into your own potential or limitless potential. Now, I believe believe that by definition everyone's got potential really and it's limitless it's just a matter of actually getting going and finding out well a like you said knowing yourself and just starting and then going and seeing where you can go so what does it mean to be limitless to you you know what's interesting i actually really struggled answering this question when when you had asked me this mm. I, I really struggled answering it because to me i feel like we are all limitless obviously within the constraints of the physical world we live in yeah but i don't know what my limits are and to me my life journey is discovering that like to me that's my life's purpose is you know it might it might sound a little bit vain but i definitely don't mean it that way is i see life as a canvas and we're the masterpiece mm. and the idea is throughout this canvas of life what does the masterpiece look like at the end? Yeah. And I really want to, and some people, you know, might not uncover a lot of the, you know, they might not do a lot of the masterpiece. So the ending looks very similar from the start. Other people want to really see how much of the masterpiece can be created. So to me, limitless is just like the infinite possibility on what your masterpiece could look like. So you know, I guess the question at the end is like, hey, what do you want your masterpiece, your life masterpiece to look like, which is your life? right? What do you want to look like at the end? And that's probably what drives me to constantly want to grow and expand and understand myself better is I kind of want to see what that masterpiece could look like. And I don't know what it could look like, but I know that I want it to look very different from, you know, where it is now or where it was 10 years ago and things like that. And the one thing which I'd really recommend people to do is take time to be silent really take time to be silent because oftentimes I find my best ideas or really unpacking how I'm thinking or getting really in touch with myself is found in silence. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we live in such a noisy world. There's things coming at us from each and every direction. You got to unplug, you got to switch off. And that's a great answer, man. <laughs> Yeah, really, really well answered. Very deep. Uh, it's been it's been amazing, man. We've covered a lot. So what yeah, I'd like to do, I, I'm sorry, I don't know. I'll, no, jump, I'll jump around a lot. Sorry. <laughs> that's how we that's how we roll, man. We we work out. We just go with it, and wherever it takes us, it takes us. But what we're going to do, guys, we're going to put a link to everything that was referenced here. So books, videos. Uh, if that's all right, Andy, if you can just send through this stuff to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just want to give anyone that's listening access to some of these resources because, yeah, even even for me, 
personally. I mean, I'll, I'll delve into some of these as well and, you know, get my, get my head around the whole Bitcoin thing. And I'm really, I'm, I'm so intrigued at the moment. It's, it's, yeah, I just yeah. think it's another world and it's definitely worth, worth pursuing. So uh, it's definitely worth like looking into and understanding because I yeah. feel like regardless of whether we like it or not, people will be using the technology, even if they don't know they're going to be using it in like yeah. three to five years. Right. Yeah. So it's going to be, it's going to be there, whether you're aware that you're actually using it and a part of the ecosystem or not. Yeah. You know, I'll send you a few resources. Um, yeah. I, I mean, there's definitely things which I guess if I had prepared, I would explain better, uh, yeah. making it more simple, but it's something which, something which I'll send you a few resources on. Yeah. And also, if people want to reach out to you in regards to accounting and things like that, what's the best way they can do that? Is that through your website? Would it be through Facebook or social media? Or Yeah, so um, the website's currently uh, in construction. It has been in construction for a while. <laughs> uh, but you can, you can find me uh, uh, on email at andyw at clarico.com.au. Hopefully, you can put some links there. Uh, I've got a TikTok. It's called uh, at it's Andy Wang. And uh, on on YouTube, we're just uh, Clarico. I was going to say, I had a look at your YouTube channel as well. And anyone like this thing, you've got to go and have a look, especially at his intro video. It's quite funny. Uh, you're quite humorous as well. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you. Really I don't know. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Love doing this. And we're going to do it again. I'm down. I'm down. Whenever, whenever, whenever you'd like to have a chat, I enjoy these chats anyway. Awesome. Thanks a lot, mate. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. If you got value from this, please give us a share and a thumbs up. And always remember that each and every single one of us has our own version of chasing our own limitless potential.